Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm John Purcell, and I'm very excited to be here with Munjed Al Madiris, who is coming to talk about Going Back, which is the follow up book to his supremely successful and enlightening book, Walking Free. Welcome, Munjed. Thank you very much for having me here, John. Again, because we had you around for uh, Walking Free, which yeah. um, went on and on and sold and sold. Congratulations on the success of that first book. Thank you. It's, it's, I think it's still doing well. It still goes well, yeah. And well, look, the, the subject just hasn't gone away in the Australian politics, has it? No. Unfortunately, the, the subject continued to be there. Yeah. Uh, the, the hot subject in the, um, the spotlight um, for Australian politics, obviously, because we can't get it right. So yeah. Well. Uh, and your story is one of the, uh, the, the great positive stories of, of, um, of uh, refugees in Australia, in uh, resettlement, uh, in um, improving a lot of the naysayers wrong. Um, your success and your, um, what you've brought to the country is, is extraordinary. Uh, can you tell us a little tiny bit about what you've been doing in the last few years, just to start us off, and that is sort of where um, going back uh, is set uh, in this in this part period after walking free is is ended. Sort of give us a bit of an update on on what's been going on in, in your life. Yeah. Look, my story is not unique. I'm I'm one of many stories that um, um, uh, keep repeating itself in in Australia and around the world. I mean, people are people. There there are people who um, become achievers, and there are people who um, uh, do less. And um, um, but um, you know, talking about myself and uh, what I've been doing in the last um, uh, few years, um, um, I mean, I'm settled here in Australia. Australia's home, Sydney is uh, is my home, and um, uh, I'm very well established here um, as an orthopedic surgeon. I um, uh, practice my day to day work um, with. Um, doing joint replacement, hip and knee surgery, and believe me, it's boring like that shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, I have um, great passion uh, for complex uh, reconstructive surgery and um, um, and doing uh, like innovative technologies like uh, attaching robots to human beings. And um, that's what um, uh, excites me. And um, uh, it's a field of medicine that um, keeps evolving and um, as a result of that I travel a lot uh, around the world and um, um, at the same time um, uh, we work on developing more innovative work um, we try to um, uh, help out in war-torn countries and uh, areas that need uh, help that uh, lack skills and expertise like Iraq is one example, mm-hmm. Cambodia is another, yep. um, other places around the world. And um, so I've been very busy and um, um, there's always uh, some time to, to spare and that's, uh, there's no better thing to do than writing a book. <laughs> so why not? We've got a bit of time. Uh, so busy running around the world saving uh, or fixing people up. But uh, I want to talk about that, that the osseo-integration, which is the, the bionic side of things, right, the sort of the Terminator-inspired mm-hmm. Aspect of so you're doing daily work of hip replacements and the like. Is that because there isn't many opportunities to do osteo integration in the way that you want to be doing it, or is it is it is it, is it like 
you're an artist who has to have a day job. You know, like, what, what is it? Well, look, the, the reality is that I have to earn a living, mm-hmm. and um, uh, osteointegration uh, surgery with the technology that goes around it, it, it costs a lot of money, mm-hmm. and um, the R and D um, um, is is very expensive. I mean, and I fund it from my own pocket, so um, so I have to have a source of income, and the best source of income that I have is is utilizing my specialization with um, uh, arthroplasty, like hip and knee surgery. And mm-hmm. uh, look, uh, don't get me wrong, I do enjoy doing um, um, joint replacement surgery, but uh, it's it's mind numbing and it's very routine. Um, so, um, um, and I always tell my uh, fellows and registrars that uh, if you get excited in every operation you do routine operation then you're doing the wrong thing because it has to be mind-numbing and it has to be um, uh, you know um, boring um, in order to be uh, you know very smooth sailing and um, mm. and you talk about anything but medicine um, while on the other hand osseointegration surgery and uh, major reconstructive surgery is very very uh, challenging because you don't face any routine um, uh, situation. You um, you always come across um, uh, conditions that have been uh, significantly um, uh, become complex uh, as a result of uh, major traumas like blast injuries and things like that. And uh, um, and you know bombs are. Uh, not very skilled surgeons, and uh, yeah. uh, so they maim people. And um, and when you face people who have uh, survived uh, explosions, you deal with uh, with the carnage and um, uh, trying to put things together is very challenging and very exciting and very very rewarding. Mm. So, when you're talking about the R and D side of things, is, is is a lot of your effort going into trying to work out how to make this available and cheaper like is that is that part of the research is is the, the more you know about it the more you can bring down the prices the more you can well there are many levels of um, uh, the work with osseointegration and reconstructive surgery um, the first is to um, um, you know you come up with an idea and then um, you go on the planning papers and uh, and um, and then uh, put the paper uh, put the put the idea on the paper and then uh, try to run feasibilities uh, about whether it's going to work theoretically and then you start implementing this uh, on trial cadavers or animals mm-hmm. um, uh, sometimes and then you do a clinical trial and the clinical trial if it's successful then you implement it and then you go through regulatory affairs and regulatory bodies to uh, uh, to get it through the the system and uh, and then once the concept is proven, then you open it to the uh, to the public as a standard uh, treatment. And um, and usually these kind of technologies, when they start, they start very expensive, very pricey because uh, you already spend millions of dollars in in the process to get it to a clinical application. Yeah. And then once you prove um, uh, that it does work and uh, and you run um, clinical trial on enough patients and then um, after that it becomes regular once it becomes regular the price goes down and my aim and my hope one of the three hopes that I have in life is uh, is to make this technology available to people who need it at most people who cannot afford it around the world uh, people who have been um, victims of um, 
blast injuries, uh, uh, landmines, etc. in Southeast Asia, the Middle East, and um, uh, people who suffered uh, from uh, wars. And these people um, um, cannot afford... Uh, this kind of technology. And where are you now? Where do you think, how far away are you from? Well, we're running, uh, well, this technology is established in 20 uh, 20 countries at the moment, Mm -hmm. and the number of countries are expanding. Um, uh, By day, I have no week that passes without uh, people coming from uh, around the world, learning the technology and taking it to their uh, countries. Uh, And at the same time, uh, we are running pilot studies in uh, countries that um, does not have the the capacity to send teams or does not have the skills and expertise like Cambodia, like Iraq, mm-hmm. um, um, like uh, other places like Lebanon. Um, and when and, uh, we go there and, and perform the surgeries, and um, in Iraq now we established a, a center that um, uh, we can run this on a regular basis, and I go there every four months um, I self-fund everything and um, we do a lot of pro bono work uh, in Iraq every week we do around 80 to 90 cases really uh, so we go a week at a time um, and we last time we went between Christmas and New Year and we did 86 cases Um, a lot of um, these patients are war-torn uh, basically uh, victims uh, and um, and children uh, so we are expanding our work and uh, uh, there is always room for volunteers and um, and, and I have a lot of um, uh, kind people that uh, that volunteer their time and effort and skills uh, from all around the world so I take teams with me from the UK from America and um, and other parts of the world um, every time I go there and they all do pro bono work we don't get paid a penny uh, and we we have a lot of donation that comes from um, um, very kind people uh, like uh, um, our hospitals here they donate uh, equipment and, and things like Macquarie University um, uh, Hospital um, where I run the Limbic Construction Center and um, and other places as well so when you're going back to Iraq, it must be a very different Iraq to the Iraq that you knew as a kid. But also, when you when you think about what the Iraq that your parents knew, um, which was very different to the Iraq that you knew, um, what is it? What is it like walking through the streets? Are, is, is it are, are there things that you just can't recognise, or is it, or, or are there landmarks that are still set there, and you go, okay, that's that, and I know what's what's well, what. Sadly. Uh, Iraq that I left, Iraq was under a dictatorship of Saddam Hussein for over 30 years. Um, But at least back then, um, there was peace, there was stability, and there was security. In the country. uh, In the country. And um, Saddam was a dictator, but he was a secular dictator. He didn't care whether you're a Muslim, Christian, Sunni, Shiite, Kurd. Um, it's all rubbish what people talk about. Um, and he was non-discriminatory. Uh, you either follow his rule or you don't. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I chose not to follow his rule. That's why I uh, became um, um, an escapee and I had to leave Iraq because otherwise I would face death. Mm-hmm. So I ran away from Iraq because of Saddam Hussein. But um, um, sadly, um, Iraq was way better off than what it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the country is trying to crawl back to uh, a better 
situation, but um, the um, invasion in 2003 was the biggest disaster, and um, um, Iraq and the rest of the world have spent trillions of dollars, uh, um, and all this money was wasted. Mm. Um, there is no brick that was laid in Iraq since. Um, um, there is uh, chaos. Uh, the country is um, uh, uh, going through uh, sectarian violence, and um, uh, there is uh, a lot of destruction. And um, um, it, I cry every time I go through the streets of Baghdad because uh, uh, nothing has changed, but um, everything I left become dirty, ugly, and um, and run down. Um, and there was there is no new buildings, there is no new uh, infrastructure, um, and it's very sad. Um, all this money was spent, all this effort uh, was spent on nothing. Uh, so, what's your opinion when you you you're out here um, working as a doctor when um, Bush and Blair decided to um, invade Iraq? What was your opinion of that decision, and was it necessary in your opinion? Look, I had a lot of skepticism, uh, knowing the history of America, and Americans uh, are very good in uh, in fighting and very good in uh, uh, winning battles, but they are hopeless in conquering countries. And uh, uh, they've proven again and again and again that they are the ber- the worst um, occupiers. And um, um, Iraq is not. Uh, different to to their history, and so I was I was very skeptical. I remember very well. I rang my mum while the invasion was happening, um, and um, I said to her, "How is the feeling in Baghdad?" And and her response was that everybody's happy. Uh, we know that the Americans are coming, and they will bring a, a government that's already uh, trained to run this this country. But the reality is. Uh, when the Americans got in, they got rid of Saddam and they replaced him with um, religious lunatics who uh, run in the name of God and fight each other and kill each other in the name of God. And um, and all what they care about is their own power. And um, uh, and uh, like Paul Bremer, the the um, uh, governor of Iraq back then, had very wrong advice, and he has a lot to answer for mm. um, because he divided Iraq into Sunni. Uh, Shiite Kurds and the poor Christians uh, were uh, stepped on by everybody um, uh, and led um, uh, to a disaster. He sacked all the army uh, and the Ba'ath Party members and, uh, you know, all public servants had to join the Ba'ath Party to become uh, employed and he didn't realize that. So um, there was a massive vacuum uh, in the country and um, um, Iraq is still paying for these mistakes. Um, now, uh, the new government, I think there is some hope. Uh, they are starting to put technocrats in, in positions of power, but um, the problem is um, um, there are so many hungry people uh, and the values and the um, um, uh, uh, and people have lost uh, their integrity and, uh, and now um, there is a lot of looting, a lot of um, 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 basically theft uh, mm-hmm. from within the government and uh, 
in all ranks. I mean, uh, the Ministry of Health um, is 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 an example uh, that I have to deal on day to day basis uh, with, and it's it's a disaster. It's an yeah. absolute disaster. It's chaos, and um, uh, it, it's a pyramid of thieves, yeah. uh, basically. And um, I mean. Um, we aid Iraqis as, as Australians, and um, um, uh, I had many chats with uh, people who are in, in positions to make a decision here in Australia about the aids to Iraq. There is $100 million that um, we gave to the Iraqis, but um, that money needs to be spent properly because uh, if you give them bottles of water, uh, they will, um, um, you know... Uh, Overprice it, and um, and that money will will end up in the pockets of thieves. Yeah. Um, so um, um, so there are ways to um, uh, to help, but um, but we need to be very careful. If you came out here in in '99, uh, and that was before a lot of the real um, rhetoric around refugees, uh, before Tampa, before. September 11, and ever since then, there's been there's been like at the forefront of Australian politics. If anyone shows any weakness on that side, they um, they get they get hammered, you know. So they have to show this sort of sense of strength. Um, is it like would would it be more difficult for you in in the uh, landing in Indonesia uh, two years ago, say, um, and coming across? Would there be uh, are there people like you right now sitting over there? Uh, in in Indonesia that that should really be brought over here and and look, looked after. In, in your opinion, have we become a, a worse country on on, on that scale? Look, the, the, uh, the, the, we need to go back to the basics. Um, Australia is a signatory to the Refugee Convention, Article uh, 1951. We were one of the first countries that signed this document. And um, we have international obligation. We have our duty toward humankind. Um, and um, what we are doing now is wrong. Um, uh, yes, we have a, a front uh, showing that we are strong against refugees, but um, um, this is not strength. I see that as uh, uh, stupidity and weakness uh, because our policy with offshore uh, processing and, um, and, and border protection um, is um, um, inhumane uh, and costly and it's not effective and it's not going to last for long. Um, we cannot sustain this kind of uh, policy because it's extremely expensive and um, there is no plan for the future. Now, I don't look at it uh, as, um, uh, as a point of deterring boats. I look at it as um, uh, I'm a taxpayer that I spend significant amount of money on uh, other countries and companies around um, the region. Uh, this is money that's not well spent and um, on a policy that will not last. The minute you stop that, uh, boats will come back. So... Um, Looking at people that are coming, uh, back to your first question, um, um, refugees are a slice of a community, okay? There is the good, there is the bad and the ugly. And um, um, I remember when we were in detention, we were 1,000 
252 people at some stage, and there were 13 doctors among us, and there were a lot of qualified people. By the same token, there were a lot of people who were young uh, and willing to clean toilets. I was one of them. I, I cleaned toilets when I first uh, landed in Australia. There is nothing wrong with that. It's A job is a job. Um, and then put that aside, even if these people come out and live on uh, social security, we're still spending a lot more money on these people by deterring them and putting them in, in Nauru and Manus Island. And it, it is estimated now that every single person being processed in these places costs the government $1,600 per day. Mm. I mean, this is an astronomical figure um, of um, um, proving a policy that is stupid. Yeah. Um, the Australian public do not know this very well and um, people should, uh, they deserve, they have the right to know that there is a lot of money that is spent on these kind of policies and um, and I don't necessarily um, look at it from the humanitarian side of things. Um, of course, these are human beings and deserve uh, to be treated and if we have heart, uh, hearts that are made of uh, steel and and we we harden our position toward humankinds um it's fine but then look at our economy uh, i mean we cannot sustain this kind of policy and um uh, economically this is not right and if you look at the uh, the propaganda that the government um, have um, led and at the peak of the boat arrivals, there were 28,000 uh, people arriving uh, by boat on that particular year. I don't know whether it was 2008 or something like that. That year, they were at the same time, there were 62,000 overstay visas. Majority of these people were coming from Europe. Mm. The vast majority are from the UK. Um, and they are not dissimilar to these boat arrivals, the only difference is that boat arrivals come from the Middle East while overstay visas are European. Yeah. Yeah. But they are causing the same effect on the community. Um, so um, I see that we have two-face uh, and we have double standards in handling um, uh, people who are coming to our shores and um, we have different classes. Um, uh, people who come by boat are the dirty ones and people who overstay their visas by plane are the clean ones yeah. that we allow. Um, what, what do you make of, um, because since you've, since you've come, um, the world is, is, has changed quite a lot. Um, and it, there's a lot of great things going on and there's a lot of people out there who are constantly making a point of just how wonderful you know, things are, are changing and getting better. and like. But then we have things like Trump and then we have... Um, uh, Brexit, and we have uh, uh, the, the um, uproar in Germany about um, Angela Merkel letting in the Syrian um, refugees. There seems to be uh, a lot of hate, uh, sort of bubbling uh, uh, around, and fear uh, bubbling, bubbling around uh, in uh, in a lot of the Western countries uh, around this. Do you think this is this is this is something that is just a phase that that we'll get we'll get through, or do you think this is a sign of something that? an intolerance that is building within Western society. Look, the world go through phases and, um, and peaks and turfs. And um, unfortunately, um, the human race forget every 70 years. And um, um, what we're going through now um, happened in the history again and again and again. Um, definitely we are much better now because of um, 
education level and because of um, um, uh, the um, uh, information reach us very quickly and and very well. Um, and it is sad that we still um, get people like um, Trump to power because mm. um, uh, what Trump, I mean, forget about his stupidity and all uh, what he's like, um, but what Trump has l- caused to the world is is, a, is an irreversible damage that will take generations to fix. Mm. Uh, the not okay become an okay. Uh, yeah. uh, a lot of things that um, were not allowed, uh, a lot of things that were not um, acceptable um, as um, 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 uh, and were not matching the slightest um, uh, level of dignity and humanity um, have been broken. Um, mm. It is okay, according to Trump, to be a bigot. Is it? It is okay to be a bully. It is okay to to have hate, and it is okay uh, to become a racist. Um, and this is very sad because we 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 hoped that we have moved away from um, these kind of um, um, actions and these kind of um, feelings. Um, and and it is very sad. It saddens me and disheartens me to to see that the world is going through a, a phase not so much dissimilar to what the world went through in the thirties. Mm. And um, and if you look at the Nazis, uh, they did not come by force. Uh, they came by votes. Yeah. And they came by um, um, you know uh, winning ignorant and ill-educated people's minds. Um, and Unfortunately, there is a wave of that coming back. Um, and at the moment, it's, it's all around the world. At the moment, it's against the Middle Eastern, against the Muslims. And very quickly, this will, this will move on to affect other sects. Mm. And very quickly, this will affect the Jews, the gays, the lesbians, the, um, the, uh, uh, the, the gypsies, and, and so on. And nobody will be spared uh, mm. at the end of it. And um, um, I don't think um, there should be any acceptance toward racism. I don't think there should be any acceptance or tolerance toward uh, bigotry or um, uh, or discrimination. Um, factually, uh, the world is going its most peaceful time ever in the history. Um, mm. uh, you know the the rubbish that you hear in the media about terrorism and terrorist activities. It's 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 the biggest load of bullshit uh, yeah. because uh, if you look at us now, I remember um, in the seventies when every time you open, uh, you turn on the TV or you you turn on the radio, you hear about a plane hijack and people, um, uh, you know, being kidnapped and massacred uh, all around the world. There was the IRA, there was the PLO, there was the uh, Camille Rouge, there were you know many organized many terrorist organizations. There were American one that was. Things in America they as were well. everywhere. Yeah. Where are they now? Mm. Uh, we're living in peace now, and and the last thing you want is to have politicians coming up with these slogans saying that oh, I want to keep this country peaceful and and move terrorists out. Well, there are not many terrorists left. Yeah. Uh, people are minding their own business, and um, and we're living in a very peaceful um, um, conditions at the moment. And the last thing we want is to bring hatred back. Yeah. Um, 
unfortunately, a lot of politicians play on fear uh, and play on um, um, ill-educated uh, minds, and uh, and that's how they win their votes. Uh, so we need to wake up. We need to. Um, look at the facts, look at the statistics, and um, and just read more. And um, and I think the answer to all these problems is by education and by reading and by opening our mind uh, toward um, um, uh, facts, uh, yeah. basically, rather than uh, the fear of uh, the unknown. Munjed, thank you so much for coming and talking. This has been absolutely wonderful. I, I let the podcast run a bit longer because of the wonderful things you're saying. So thank, <laughs> thank you. you so much for coming in. Thanks very much, John. And you can get hold of Walking Free and Going Back at booktopia.com.au right now. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget, for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.